Today we're going to be talking about an American hero that you probably heard of, but guarantee school didn't teach you about. Frederick Douglass. It's time to do a podcast. Welcome to Pop Bless America. I'm Jim. And I'm Dan. So Sheriff Lamb, welcome. Thank you. I got to bring you two on as my hype men all the time. Oh, all Get you have on. to do is just go along. Just put your mask on. Just because I might not agree with it, that doesn't mean I lose my right to parent my kid. Leave the, leave the jokes to me, Chief. This is what gets Jim fired up. It's not communism that's going to destroy this country. It's not socialism that's going to destroy this country. What's going to destroy this country is apathy. Don't count on anybody coming to save you. It is time to save ourselves. So today we're going to be talking about Frederick Douglass. Dan, before we decide to do this show, how much did you know about Frederick Douglass? Just what they taught me in school, and I don't remember any of that either. Correct. Right? Yeah. I mean, I, I don't even remember. I mean, it was a blurb in school, right? Which is a travesty. Because oh. when you start learning about this guy, this guy is America. They could have, like, did a whole semester in 11th grade on this guy in history class. It's not even like what we learned about his name and what he did, and that's it. Well, in fairness, they could have done a whole semester about it in history class, and you still wouldn't remember anything, but I digress. So on uh, with us today is Kevin McGarry. You may remember him. Uh, we've had one before for his organization, uh, Every Black Life Matters, which is a conservative response to uh, Black Lives Matter. Um, Kevin is also, which a lot of people didn't know, the chairman of the California chapter of the Douglas, uh, Douglas Frederick Foundation out there. And he um, knows a lot about Frederick Douglass, man. I, we started talking to him before the show about it, and this guy is passionate. Um, Did you know that his name was Frederick Augustus Washington Bailey? Oh, we're going to get into that. Before that? We're going to no get into that. No relationship to Bill and Renee Bailey. Stop it. <laughs> Kevin, you there? I'm here. Oh, my guys, man. My gentlemen. Man. Brothers. I, how well, you guys doing? Oh, gentlemen. Yeah. I Guys would probably work better. I don't know for gentlemen. We try. But. <laughs> all Jim did was cussing me before this because I kept coming up with all these jokes, and he's like, "You're not using that yeah, one. No, you're not using that one. You're not using that one." No, Dan came up that. with a bunch of off-color stuff, and I'm like, "Nope, nope." Off-color is nope, a terrible nope. term. Oh man, yeah. So you know, we talked hey, to you. We talked to you a little bit before about Frederick Douglass, and I told you I'd like to have you on do a show about it. And we started researching Frederick Douglass, and. This cat was, I mean, this is, this guy is America, man. I mean, the story from, from when he was born until the day he died, this guy was just fire, you know? It was unbelievable that God could raise up a man from obscurity for that particular time in history to ultimately be the catalyst for the civil rights movement pioneered literally civil rights before there was Dr. MLK or any of the other great civil rights pioneers was Frederick Douglass who really championed the whole effort. And when you speak, when you think about civil rights, you never think about Frederick Douglass, but he is the quintessential American hero of civil rights. He's a patriot. He's the statesman. He's a minister. He's an incredible father. Uh, just so many aspects to his life that are still relatively unexplored. And this guy was just the, you know, <laughs> just an unbelievable life. Unbelievable. But I want to jump to the origins of the guy first and spend a little bit of time on that. Because when you 
are born into slavery and you have people who own you, who have the mentality where they say, quote, these, these slaves have no aptitude to function as human beings. And they say uh, they lack the uh, intellectual capacity to function as American citizens. When you start there and then the kid at six years old does everything he can to absorb knowledge and, and just figure out how to read and write. And well, and when you talk about that, so when he was born for the first six years, I don't know if he realized that he was a slave, right? I mean, he, he had a pretty, just oh, he a was like, carefree, this is life. carefree life, yeah. right? Yeah. It's, at six years old, all of a sudden, he grew up, like overnight, mm-hmm. right? When they, yep. they chose him and, and they said, look, you are now the companion to, I think it was the daughter of the slave owner, is that correct? No, it wasn't that. It, it was uh, Tom. I think it was his son. I think it was a it son. Was Tommy. I know he was yeah. a, a companion there, and at that point, yeah. started. Yeah, they, they just wanted a playmate, really. I mean, was, but even at six, about, even yeah, at six, I mean, started realizing that there yeah. are going to be repercussions if I do not do what I am supposed to do. I mean, the whipping yeah. started almost immediately with this kid. Yeah, you, you, but you know, when you think about it, it was fortuitous, um, even though it created tremendous amount of hardship as, as time went on. But, you know, this family had not owned slaves before. So they, they, you know, they were kind of flying by the seat of their pants as to how to really raise and then properly shepherd somebody into slavery. Uh, if you can, you know, use that term. But, uh, uh, and so because of that, that, I didn't know, know that. I didn't they, know this was their first try at uh, slavery. You, yeah, which is why the mother of the house was teaching the, you know, little Freddie and little Tommy to read. And, uh, you know, the guy, her, her husband comes home and says, wait, what are you doing? So that was all fortuitous. I mean, it wasn't, you know, I mean, if he had been, if he had been to a, you know, a, a slave chattel home that, you know, had tons of slaves and, and had been doing it for a while, none of that would have come forward. So it's really quite interesting how that whole first several years of his life uh, really shaped him. And uh, it was it was really fortuitous, I think. It says his mom was uh, black and Native American and his dad was white. Yeah. Do you think that um, everyone knowing that, do you think it was it was harder on him amongst his own people? Or do you think that it was a different time for that? I think that happened a lot time for that. It, yeah. happens, it happens now. Well, but it happened a lot back then, I think. There were a lot yeah, of... No, I know, yeah. I'm, no, I'm not saying that it didn't happen. I'm saying, was he treated differently both, from both sides? Yeah. Because no, no. No, I don't think he got any of that. Um, you know, the reality is, is that his... You know what happens, and I'm, I'm sure you've read about, you know, this part of the story, that when the, the kids are born into slavery like that... First of all, his mom was raped by the white... Um, father and who is a you know slave owner type uh i don't know to what degree or what plantations and all that i don't i don't think that's part of the story was ever revealed but right she was raped by uh by a white um aggressor and then uh and then comes frederick Douglass. now um when the kids are born they're immediately separated from their moms right it's it's they don't want any of that sort of family bonding or any type of bonding to go go forth. So uh, they separated him from his mom almost immediately after birth. They sent him 11, and, mile, 11 miles down the road? 
to grandma's? Yep, and then he's fortuitously again for him, he's raised uh, in a sort of, you know, commune by his grandmother. I mean, he just, just happened to be his grandmother and who was the mother of all these children that were you know, born and then separated from the actual mom. It's just, you know, when you hear that stuff, though, it's just incredible. I mean, they really treated them like animals, like property, like uh, they were not human, right? I mean, they took babies from their mothers, just like you would, right. just like you would a calf or, yeah. well, not yeah. not even. You allow a calf to stay with its mother longer than the they allowed us. All that, yeah. Right, right. Yeah. And they would just take True. them away. And we get, and we'll get into this a little bit. I mean, I don't want to spend too much time here on the, on the younger years because when he became amazing, was it, you know, 20 or, and so and on. Uh, but, you know, he didn't even know his birthday. They don't, these slaves, and he said at one point, I, I don't know if I've ever met a slave that knew his birthday. Nobody, right. you know, he thought he was born in 1817 mm-hmm. until they looked at the slave records, figured out it was 1818, February of 1818. Yeah. And then he actually chose February 14th as his birthday. And that's because his mother referred to him as my little Valentine. So it's just, it's incredible. But you talk about him moving, you know, he says he he didn't know his mother. She was 12 miles away. Well, you think here, 12 miles, I can get there in six minutes driving. 12 miles might might as well have been a million miles uh, back Mm -hmm. then. And especially as a slave. It's not like he Mm -hmm. could just jump on a horse and say, hey, I'm going to go see my mom today. Right? I mean, it's Mm -hmm. just, so this, this torture starts at birth for him. Yep. I mean, just. Sorry, I digress. Yeah. Go ahead, Kevin. <laughs> yeah, so so it really it, it really does start at at, uh, at birth for him. But you know, again, his grandmother was really the the house mother, so to speak, quote unquote, who was raising all these children, these commune of children, and because she actually had blood ties to Will Freddie, uh, she. You know, she looked out for him and all of that. And and when he was assigned, after he was purchased and then assigned to his slave home, quote unquote, uh, she actually walked with him all those miles to the new plantation home where he would be where he would be assigned. And so he had a special bond with his grandmother. Um, she she made sure to give him his mother's Bible. And uh, th- these are things that really, you know, made an indelible impression on uh, little Frederick Douglass. And so uh, when he got to his slave home, again, he was primarily positioned at that time because he was too young to maybe do any actual slave work. He was positioned to just be a playmate, you know, and uh, then he started, uh, you know, the chores and the harsh treatments and all that started, uh, you know, a little later on after that. And he watched the worst of it. He'll, oh, yeah. uh, in a lot of his his writings, he talks about the atrocities that he witnessed to these slaves oh. that oh, yeah. that would have broken a normal man. I mean, would have just, uh, there, there would have been no reason to try to go on and to become something, right? Because you were going to become what you witnessed. So you're just going to toe uh, the line. And, absolutely. And the amazing, about, uh, the amazing yeah, irony yeah. is that... Mm-hmm is that everything just fell into line. The, the ineptitude, ineptitude, I guess, of these slave owners, these first-time slave owners, of not understanding how to, how to treat a slave mm-hmm. actually resulted in 
the ultimate demise of of slavery because of Frederick Douglass. Yes. I mean, right, so exactly. it's just, it's crazy when you think about just the, the position he was put in. And, you know, you can be religious, you cannot be religious, but you cannot tell me that there was not some kind of higher power there that put Frederick mm-hmm. Douglass in this circumstance. Somebody with exactly. the with the aptitude of Frederick Douglass exactly. to say, you are the one. You're the one that's going to go through this, and you're the one that's going to bring us out of this. Think about what exactly. he accomplished from learning how to read to write on his own and yep. uh, uh, what, how much better he could have been had he got a real education from the get-go, from the start. Oh. He would have, you know, there's no saying what he could have did. Oh. oh, man, if you look at his writings, oh, my goodness, I am just envious and, and jealous of the writers in the 18 and in, 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 in the, well, actually, the early admitted and framers. The, the writing styles, the, the level of, of eloquence and, and uh, just the, the the incredible amount of intelligence that you get just from the writing is just it's just amazing you know here we are we're, we're in you know 2023 and we're thinking you know of course you know all of our we've got great writers we've got great ai we've got all this stuff and it just doesn't compare no. to the writings of yesteryear it's just amazing and, and you know douglas's writings were just deep profound Highly intellectual. I mean, you've, you've mm-hmm. got to like read a sentence or two and then stop and ponder. It's like, wow. Yeah. His, yeah. I, his IQ had to be off the chart. Oh, this is just his amazing. general IQ, right? Um, so, yeah. so before we jump into all that, I just, his years from about 12 to 16 were, were his most hard, hard, hard yeah, years. Yeah. I actually wanted to just let Kevin go. Mm-hmm. Um, before we jump into uh, when his 20th year, mm-hmm. which is, what really started this whole thing off. Um, I mean, is there, what can you give us on his, on his teenage years? Yeah. So what was interesting about him is that he had this, this incident, right. Where he was being taught to read along with the other child of the house. You know, he, again, he was a playmate. And so the mom of the house says, okay, Hey, we're going to teach, you know, for instance, you know, little Freddie and little Tommy to read. And so she goes on, she starts teaching the boys to read. The the father of the house, the, the father of the plantation comes home. And he says, wait, 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 wait. What what are you doing? And she says, I'm teaching the boys to read. What are, what are you talking about? And he's like, no, 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 no. And he's, this is all public discussion, right? Little Freddie was there. And he says, you cannot teach a slave to read. If you teach a slave to read, they're no more good. And uh, because they can actually find their way out of, uh, you know, out of slavery or, you know, I don't, I don't know the exact phrase, but this is fundamentally what he was pointing to is if you teach a slave to read, they, they will uh, ultimately overcome the, the chains of slavery. And little Freddie said, aha. So whether I'm in physical chains or whether I'm just, uh, or, or, or not, learning to read, learning to articulate, is really the key to being set free. So when you say that, what is disgusting to me is that when they say uh, these people, they're, they're no good as Americans, they're ignorant, they're no better than animals, deep down they knew. They knew that oh, they, they, were, knew. they were only this way because they, the slave owners were keeping them ignorant. They knew that if they yeah. were to educate them, that they were in fact Americans, that they were in fact good enough to be as good as the white man. 
Absolutely, they knew. Uh, but what compounded it was the scientific justification for it. Okay? So you had around the same time, uh, you know, you had a lot of writings and rumblings, if you will, from the scientific community, uh, especially the scientific community in Europe, which was the precursor and the, you know, the, the kind of the time where you had, you know, early Darwinist uh, people that would have Darwinist theories like uh, his, his first cousin, Thomas Malthus, who would uh, pose it that, you know, really, you know, blacks or there, there must be some kind of evolutionary theory. This is a little bit before Darwin's writings actually came out. And because blacks just seem subhuman. I mean, look at them. They're, they're savages. They're, you know, they're this and that. But the, in reality, they actually knew because the fact is, the fact is, is that these Europeans went to the African continent and they went with hat in hand to negotiate with African warlords uh, for, for people that they may have captured as, on their territory or other part of other tribes that they've captured. So they can, uh, and they negotiated a sale for those, uh, for those slaves. So they knew you, you, you don't negotiate with somebody that's subhuman. I mean, you just basically squash them. Right? right. Well, they were negotiating. So obviously, you know, these people had intellect, they had capacity, they had, you know, uh, thoughts of economy, uh, you know, commerce, the whole bit. So they knew better than that, you know, Africans and African slaves were subhuman. But it was complicated and especially more complicated then when Darwin's writings actually did come out. And he confirmed that, look, based on my evolutionary theories, blacks are, you could see my theories in effect. You know, we whites are supreme. We fully evolved. But look at the blacks. They're still trying to climb the evolutionary scale. They're still subhuman. Um, you know, apes, gorillas, and savages. These are exact quotes that come from The Descent of Man, Charles Darwin's second book. So this, this really exacerbated, you know, blacks actually being treated as equal. should be noted that Darwin did denounce his own uh, writings at the end. Um, uh, yeah, there's, there's, yeah, there, there's some talk about that. There's some speculation. There's some sort of, uh, some people are trying to, you know, sort of correct the record on Darwin. I'm not so sure. Uh, oh, he's a monster. Don't get me wrong. I'm not trying to put up for the guy. And next, um, yeah. join us for next week's show on Darwin. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. When we have Kevin yeah, McGarry back, we're going to talk about the monster that Charles Darwin was. Oh, Darwin. Man, he was absolutely incredible. Uh, you know, most of our human suffering today is a result of, of this guy's right. uh, crazy theories. But, but anyway, I, I digress. But so, yes, so uh, do we, all so, the time. So, it's so okay. well, 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 let me finish off his 12 year old years by saying Sophia, the lady who was teaching him the alphabet. I think that was her name at the time yeah. before her mm. husband, before her husband, which I think his name was William uh, Freeland, mm. Freeland um, put a squash to it. I think that she lit that she saw the fire in him because you can see it in any little kid. If you grab, if you give a kid a baseball and he throws it to the other side of the field, who's never thrown a baseball before, you're like, you got it. When you see somebody right. like this kid who who is yearning to learn and yearning to read and, and grabbing anything, he'll grab a receipt and study it. And he'll and then you're like, Oh, okay, you need to we need to do more with you. I think that I think that Sophia saw that and wanted to nurture it because that's what mothers want to do. They see that you're good at something, want to nurture it. 
and then pops put the kibosh on it yeah. <laughs> like, a, like a dick. Mm-hmm. And uh, but that lit the fire. I think that she Sophia is probably the second most, um, the second best thing to happen to him since uh, until Anna Murray came along. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I feel like he, like the first word he learned when she was teaching him, he was like, "Wait, what?" Like all these words have meanings. Like I want to know what all these words yeah, mean. Got some work to do. You know? Yeah. I want to know what every one of these words mean. And I'm going to use yeah. these words. Yeah. And, and here's what's interesting. So a lot of people may not know, but he was an ordained minister, uh, but he was ordained later. He actually started ministering a lot earlier. What I mean by that is under the auspices of Bible study or, you know, some kind of church services, he as a teen was going off into, you know, other, you know, maybe a little shed or whatever and hosting full-grown adults, black slave adults, and went under the auspices of a Bible study, but he was literally teaching them to read because he had this understanding, look, if you learn to read, you can be set free, uh, either in your mind or literally set free from these change, mm-hmm. chains. And uh, so he was teaching adults, full-grown adults, how to read, um, because he knew that education was the key you know, I just wonder, like, uh, escaping the plantation. Knowledge is power. Like, I wonder where that came from. Did that, did that literally come from here? Right? Yeah, I, mean, I don't know. Seriously. I mean, did, yeah. did this start with Frederick Douglass? Because no, but, Frederick but, Douglass yeah. brought down an institution. But if it was a theory at that time, it was proven true then and probably did. So that, that's yeah. a good segue when you're saying, you know, he, when he finally broke the chains. I mean, he, at 16, when he was tired of getting beat and he finally rose up, and this is what happens to um, kids that get abused by their dad, who's a, who's a straight, you know, jerk, who's a who's a bully. And when they get big enough and old enough to or go, or a chief of police, or a chief of police, and you're just like, I'm done, I'm done, I'm done with it. Now, now I'm going to turn the tables on you. And he ended up whooping this dude's ass, and it ended mm-hmm. up and it ended up being to where the guy was like, all right, well, I guess I can't whoop him no more because he's just going to mess me up. Uh, and that's when he fled. That's when he jumped on the train. Well, I thought it was twenty. I think it was 16 when he when he fought when he fought back for the first time from what I read. I thought 20, well, maybe Kevin can shed some light on this. I thought 20 is when when he actually escaped. He uh dressed Yeah, he escaped, posed, posed he escaped a, 1920. Now he had he had a couple of attempts. 1838 of, is what I got. You said 1920. Yeah. 1920, he was there a prohibition? <laughs> yeah, no, no, no. He escaped he escaped uh, when he was 19 or 20. No, we know it's uh, but he had this couple of 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 escape attempts, right? Um but but how, uh, he he ultimately escaped, I believe, when he was twenty. When he went up, uh, how brutal? Do you know how brutal those those repercussions were for those attempts that that failed? Well, uh, I don't. Well, I mean, they were absolutely brutal. Um, this is this, and 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 one of the quotes that he has. It's a famous quote. It, it's he says, "Give the black man nothing uh, except fair play." Those that want to be helped will be helped, but those that want to, you know, stay, let them stay. Um, so what he was pointing to is, look, I've tried to escape multiple times, and I had these, you know, these these slaves. You know, I'm I'm thinking that everybody wants to be free, but clearly, these guys are ratting me out every time I try to escape or are about to try to escape. Even. 
They're and like, look, so man, we're being says, fed. We got a bed. Just be cool, man. And it's, all, and cool. it's all they've ever known, right? I'm, right. Sure, I'm sure the old heads were looking at him like, why are you even trying? You know but what, I right? guess, I guess my thing you? was when I asked about the brutality of it all is the fact that he has tried to escape once, absolutely brutalized. Now, that would be yeah. enough for most people to say, all right, I'm not doing this shit again. But right. not him. No, nope. he tried, tried again and got brutalized Absolutely. every time until he finally made it. Yeah. And, and he, and he, but what he was clear about is clearly there are some that would prefer to just sit at the master's table and get the one or two little peas, measly meals a day. And there's some that really just really want to be free. And so he's, that's what he says, give the Negro nothing except fair play. Those that want to be, you know, want to be set free. And those that 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 want freedom, uh, great. But those that don't, because clearly they don't, uh, they're ratting me out and doing all this stuff. Let them stay there. Huh? They, they'll just, you know, continue to be slaves and be good slaves for their master. But so he was he was he was really kind of resigned to the fact that not everybody wants to be free. And even though he had the keys to freedom, which was education. Now, one of the things that's really kind of missing in a lot of his transition to freedom was that he got stopped multiple times along the way. But do you know why they let him, just continue to let him go? Because he was able to talk his way out of it because he was super smart? Exactly. <laughs> oh, nice work, Daniel. Education. Because he, only freedmen knew how to read and articulate. And so they said, oh, okay, he looks like he could be a slave, but clearly he's a freed man, this guy. Well, and we could talk off. about this a little bit later on too, but there were times at the, you know, while he was already free and while he was on his his speech circuit and, and whatnot, that people accused him of lying, of not being a slave. They're like, you are way too well-spoken, my friend, to have ever yeah. been a slave. You're full of shit. And he's like, right. yeah, well. <laughs> right. Right. And, and so, so here, the parallels to today, all right, we, so we have a guy that's so committed to education because it literally sets him free. And he realizes that if we can all just become educated, we can set our own path, we could be free. Now you compare that to what's happening today. We have so many kids, inner city kids, kids, kids in public schools and that that take completely for, for granted any education was, and what it may mean to I their own. I was just going to make this comparison. It's, it's worse than that. If they try to do good in school, they get made fun of. Yeah, they get made fun of or, or you know, teacher said you'll never be anything, whatever. But, but even yesterday, it just came out that 40% of a school district, I think it's, I think it's Maryland, somewhere, somewhere along there, Virginia could be, uh, 40% are completely illiterate in math. Uh, and these are graduating students. Which is amazing. So, which is amazing yeah. because where was Frederick Douglass born? Uh, uh, I believe it was Maryland. Right? It was Maryland. Yeah. Yeah. Talbot Maryland. County, Maryland. So, yeah. yeah. So these kids out here who he, I mean, he fought for this. He fought his whole life for this. And they are just throwing it away right now. You know, yeah. the black community yeah. wants to say, ah, oh, we're being held down. But you're not because you have access to education. You have access to it, but you're choosing not to do it. And those that choose to do it, you're making fun of them and you're holding them back. The teachers are holding them back. Their classmates are saying, hey, man, why are you talking like a white guy? You know what? Right. Come with us. Let's sling some dope, man. You you want to make some money? Why are you trying to be smart? Yeah. You think you're better than me? Yeah. 
Right. It's unbelievable. Right. It's unbelievable. And, and if we just can embrace the story of Douglas, we could see how important it is for our own personal dignity, our own personal freedom, our own. Uh, it, it, it still rings true today that if we can articulate, if we can read and write appropriately, we can literally chart our own path and set ourselves free. But so many want to feel more comfortable on the plantation of, you know, poverty, on the plantation of, you know, inner city dynamics. Uh, and they really can't see themselves being set free from that. And, and right. And you're exactly right. The, you can you can equate this to today where, um, you know, a large portion of the black community is happier being enslaved by the federal government and their handouts. Look, I don't, I don't need to get educated. I, I'm getting money from the government. Just be cool, right? I'm going to keep voting right. Democrat because they keep giving me money. Well, the Democrats, my friend, are your slave masters. They're the ones right. that are keeping you ignorant. They're the ones that are keeping you in chains, and you keep falling for it every time. There is a every better time. way. There's a better way, but you have to be willing to make that sacrifice to do it instead of taking yeah. the easy road. All right. So yeah, listen. Many blacks are caught in this, in this, you know, without the history of Douglas and without the under, the, the, the understanding of how important uh, education is. But the reality is, is they're, they're all racist. And while well, there's actually more whites, number wise, uh, getting welfare than blacks. But the, the bottom line is, is that all races can learn from Douglas's story. We have too many people that are, that are willing to subvert their their personal dignity, their individual sovereignty to, uh, you know, call it the Democrat Party, call it big government, call it whatever, government, uh, communism, uh, you know, whatever you want to call it. But the point is, is that we're, you know, God puts in each and every one of us uh, skills, talents, and abilities. And all we need to do is have enough courage and fortitude to just see what it is we can do and become productive citizens and, and good, you know, family uh, men and women. It, it's it's just a wonderful story if we can fully embrace it. After after Douglas escaped, he actually went up north and began to read profusely and write, uh, became an incredible writer. Uh, and his writings were became a national phenomenon and a global phenomenon. Because then people in Europe got wind of Douglas and his writing, and they said, "Look, we want this guy." And so when they started to reclaim, you know, slaves, you know, further and further north, his uh, handlers over in the New England states decided, "Look, maybe this is a good time for you to take, uh, uh, you know, Europe, uh, you know, the UK and and, and Ireland and other." countries over there take them up on their offer and so he literally now here you got to remember this uh, a, a recently escaped slave born into slavery black man becomes a valued honored guest of of european you know the uk and ireland and, and other countries over in europe He's living a life time. over there that he could never have even dreamed of when he was sleeping on his plantation. That's true, but the one thing that I did read is when he finally made it over to Ireland and he, that was around the potato famine and he saw how these people were living, it reminded him 
of what it was like to live in slavery. So it was a real uh, wide, a rude awakening for him when he seen it. Kevin, let me ask you yeah. this too real quick. So, mm-hmm. so we're at 31 minutes right now. So yeah. we have so much more to talk about with um, Frederick Douglass that my worry is we're either going to cut him short or we're going to cut the foundation short. You willing to come back on next week and talk about the foundation? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. All yeah. right. Well, then let's just – because I don't want to cut this short. This is – Frederick Douglass deserves at least an hour, right? Well, I mean, I mean yeah, we, right. we totally skipped over how important Anna Murray was to, to funding this whole operation and getting it off the ground when he was trying to head north. Okay. Oh, yes. Well, yes. let's talk about it because now we have a lot of time because we don't have to talk about the foundation today. So Yes. So, so he, meets his, he meets the love of his uh, life, his early life, and, and that's Anna Murray. And she, she really helps him escape. She you know, she actually was a seamstress, a very talented seamstress. Well, and let's talk so about how she, smart he was to escape, though, by by acting, by disguising himself as a sailor. I mean, that's how he got yeah. away. He yeah. was smart Anna, enough to say, Anna hey, would make him these outfits, these little sailor-like outfits, and they were good enough, I guess, to, to pass. And so he would, uh, you know, put himself in a position on these various trains and boats and, and longshoremen and all this kind of stuff. And, and he would act accordingly. But again, it was his capacity, his, his mastery of the English language that really uh, set him free and kept him, kept him working and kept him prospering over the time while he was trying to solidify his escape up north. And uh, so Anna was really his compatriot in this, and she was the mastermind. She knew that she would be able to, you know, work with him. They'd be able to start a family. He'd be set free. And ultimately, they did. I mean, they, they started a family and started up north. And, and uh, ultimately, he was set free. But because he was such a public figure, uh, they had their eyes on him. And they started to try to reclaim slaves, uh, you know, further north. And that was when he got these invites from Europe. But Anna Murray was actually born a freed woman. So she didn't have to mm-hmm. worry about herself so much of the, you know, being reclaimed as a slave and all of that. She right. obviously had to still deal with the, the racial uh, animus and all of the hatred and venom that would be coming from uh folks at that time but she didn't have to deal with uh you know having papers and all of that right she her parents were freed about a month before she was born from what i read and she had seven yeah. seven brothers and sisters that were actually born into slavery but she was not yeah yeah uh, that's crazy good. yeah but that's where so she, all she of that factored into the the, like you said he yeah. was a sailor she met him on the dock when he was a caulker and that was uh, that was when he was working on the docks in New York after he escaped Maryland and uh, went further north. Mm-hmm. Had, had a stop in uh, New York, worked on the docks, sort of doing longshoreman work, uh, you know, transport shipments, you know, painting so and let's get in. Let's get into Frederick Douglass, the greatest orator of all time. Um, so when when does this start for him? When does now? I I know that the abolitionists, uh, uh, I, I don't know the right word, right? The the organizations, the abolitionist organizations, at some point decide, and and we could talk about Europe still, but at some point the abolitionists decide, hey, look, you are you've got the story, you are well spoken, you are 
you can you can deliver you can deliver you can enthrall people right you can bring people over to our side we're going to pay you to get on board with us and go out and deliver speeches mm-hmm. so when does all this i mean how does this how does this take place so he goes from being a wearing a, a fake sailor uniform to how do we become frederick Douglass all of a sudden so he uh, he continues, uh, you know, again, they start to reclaim uh, slaves uh, further north, pushing up further north. So he goes up to New England states and he meets, you know, abolitionist Democrats, actually. Um, so they were they were Democrats, but they were they were abolitionists and uh, they had heard of him. He made some connections. He starts speaking. They realize he is just incredible talents as an orator. Uh, they helped him to sort of master his craft in writing and oration. And uh, they put him up front a lot, you know, to do, give these, you know, resounding speeches and, uh, and to much applause. Uh, he was re- well heralded at that time. And, uh, and that was also what helped increase his notoriety really around the world as a great speaker, an abolitionist, part of the abolitionist movement, and all of that. So that's, that's kind of how that uh, transpired. All right. So he is out there giving speeches. I'm going to jump ahead a little bit here, all right? Yeah. Because one of the most, uh, this is, of all of the, the videos, of all the documentaries, of all the podcasts I've listened to, this speech right here, and you probably know which one I'm talking about, is the one that stuck out to me, and I was like, Dang. So January 4th. Well, uh, you mean July? Oh, no, no. Yeah. July 4th. Did you say January 6th? Okay. So listen, we want to talk about that. So J six. No. um, So yeah, July 4th, 1852. Right. Um, And it was a woman's voting rights um, activist organization who wanted him to come and speak um, on July 4th for independence day. And Frederick Douglass purposely, waited until the fifth to speak. Um, and the most famous quote from his speech, and, and, and it's funny because he starts speaking and everybody's, you know, applauding and smiling and yay, Frederick Douglass is here. And then all of a sudden he kind of turns the tables on him and they didn't know this was coming. And the quote is the rich inheritance of justice, liberty and prosperity and independence bequeathed by your father's, is shared by you, not me. The sunlight that brought light and healing to you has brought stripes and death to me. This 4th July is yours, not mine. You may rejoice and I must mourn. And basically what he's saying there is, look, this Independence Day you're talking about, man, we're we're still not free, right? Yep. This Independence Day you're talking about, this is a white person's holiday. I'm glad you're free, but we are not free. And you bring me here, you bring me right. here to, to extol the virtue of July 4th. Are you kidding? Because right. my people are still enslaved. My people are still being killed. My people are still not free. You know, basically how dare you bring me here for your 4th right. of July celebration? Yep. He caught him off guard in England with the same type of, of speech. 
before he left England. Yeah. He, he he was like, "Listen, guys, you're all you're you're saying how you know how far you've come and how awesome it is, but I can show you it's not." So right. He did the same exact thing when when people put him on this pedestal. They thought he was just going to be champion, and oh, look what we did! And then he just shits yeah. on them. Yeah, it's like you guys. Yeah. So July five, eighteen eighty two. What say you? That was eighteen eighty two. Um, or eighteen fifty two. I'm sorry, I missed yeah. you guys in your dates. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Hold on, hold on, man. hold on, Jack. You just called it J six, so I yeah, don't you. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and he was telling us about how Frederick Douglass was out there during Prohibition. <laughs> yeah, right, yeah. Right, you said right. pre- yeah. You said nineteen twenty. Don't don't you come at me? Yeah. Don't you come, who do you think? You, you know what? Hey, as always, we appreciate your. No, I'm just kidding. All right. Yeah. So 1852, yeah. my fault, my fault. Yeah, 1852. Yeah, prior so, to, prior so, to the civil war. So we hadn't even started. Yeah, exactly. Yet. So those dates are very, very important because you have some people that say, see, this proves Douglas was a, a, a radical, uh, he would be a Democrat today. And I, it's the reason why the dates are important is because it was well prior to the civil wars, well prior to the meeting. Uh, President Abraham Lincoln, well prior to his other uh, proclamations, um, uh, the, you know, espousing republicanism and how important uh, the Declaration and the Constitution are. So, so this was, uh, it, it, but it was absolute. This is why this speech is actually why I call I deem him the absolute unequivocal pioneer of the civil rights movement. I mean. He, he was basically saying, look, you guys, we want to be treated as equals. We want civil rights. You guys celebrate these these days, uh, these, you know, uh, these days of freedom and, and that. But you have us as part of the, the, the whole American experiment that are still being enslaved, brutalized every single day. And remember, uh, he saw, he knew firsthand what that's like so it was burning in him and this was a fiery speech but it was a speech that they absolutely need to hear well this, to this hear was basically needed the, more people to, to fight for freedoms this was basically the i have a dream speech 110 yeah. years before i have a dream and yeah. not only was it 110 years before i have a dream this was i have a dream but i've experienced it this isn't just absolutely somebody listen I am all Martin Luther King, man. He did great work and I'm not taking yes. anything away from him, but Frederick yes. Douglass lived this life that he was talking about. You know, you can Absolutely. say I have a dream. Oh, you know, uh, my ancestors, blah, blah. But yeah, Frederick Douglass had the scars to prove it. Yeah. Not even close. It's, it's, and this is why. This and is it's why not taught I in school, Kevin. Douglas. It's not taught in school. I yeah. never learned about this. Yeah, I have a dream. I learned about that. I never learned about the Fourth of July is yours, not mine. You may rejoice, but I must mourn. Never once. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And this is why I, you know, when people go on and on about Dr. Martin Luther King, I, I always, you know, I chime in. Oh, Dr. Martin Luther King, what he did, what he stood for, everything was absolutely incredible. It was necessary for the times because it really made a permanent shift in America, but. Uh, I, I, you know, I always warn them. I, I hate to go in on Dr. Martin Luther King as, as being, you know, sort of the the pioneer of civil rights when literally it started with Douglas 
and King was just, you know, helping to fulfill Douglas's dream of of equal and 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 equal and, and civil rights for for all peoples. So not to take anything away from Dr. King, what Dr. King, who he was, what he did, how important it was in American history and all that. It's you know it's 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 unimpeachable. But sure. uh, compared to the actual literal pioneer that was beat within an inch of his life multiple times, having to escape slavery and having to endure so much to even set up Dr. King, uh, we can't continue to ignore Douglas's uh, just incredible accomplishment uh, and incredible uh, foundation that led that led to. Uh, every man's freedom here in America. So it was it was Douglas who, you know, let's sort of accelerate the story a little bit because a lot of people may not understand really what happened then when Douglas, you know, came back. I mean, he came back from Europe after, you know, a year and a half or so uh, over there, a stint over there. He comes back a freed man. Well, the folks in Europe were so enamored uh, with who he was and what he represented and how important he was as a as a global statesman, that they purchase his freedom. So he comes back a freed man, immediately starts his business. He starts the North Star, North Star uh, you know, uh, publishing, which, you know, did, uh, you know, newspapers, magazines, articles, that, that, that type of thing. He Most really, popular abolitionist newspaper of the time. Yep. By far. And run and by a black man. Yeah, run by a black man. He perfected his writing. Well, he was already just an incredible orator and writer at that time. And North but this Star opened the door. For, then, for those that don't know, I mean, there was there was meaning in the in, in the name North Star, right? The North mm-hmm. Star was basically the slave star. I mean, that was the star when you were when you were fleeing slavery. You were following that North Star to get star. to get to that free land. Yep, free lands were always up north. A lot of folks don't still don't want to connect the dots. Uh, yeah, all of whites were not complicit with slavery. Uh, we had a good half of or a more percentage of white, uh, you know, freedmen and white, you know, non-slave, uh, you know, white abolitionists that fought the Civil War. They were all up north. It was the Southern and dare I say, Democrats. <laughs> that actually did all of the raping, maiming, and enslavement of blacks. That was one party, one faction, one hateful uh, faction of whites, not all whites, like, you know, CRT and DEI and those types of things would connote. So anyway, uh, I digress. All around here in Cleveland uh, and the surrounding areas because of our proximity to the lake, and being able to put people on ships and send them to Canada. There's a lot of underground railroad stops that are historical mm. monuments. And there's a city uh, that's probably, what, 15 miles from us called Oberlin. Um, and if you know anything about it, it, it was a big stop in the underground road. There was a lot of stuff that they did uh, to help. And a lot of uh, really articulate people came out of that college to help. They actually well. have a monument there with the, uh, they have railroad tracks that are buried into the ground. They're coming straight wow. out of the ground and bending, uh, you know, wow. to, yeah, it's, it's oh, actually to pretty signify cool. the underground yeah. railroad. Yeah. It's pretty cool. Pretty amazing. Yeah. So, but, so, so, but, but what I wanted to just get, just get up on the table is that, uh, when he became well known, he actually had occasion to get to the white house, you know, try to get to the back door to try to meet, uh, President Abraham Lincoln, 
Well, when Lincoln found out that the Honorable Frederick Douglass was, uh, you know, via his Secret Serviceman was at the door, he stands up at the Oval and says, oh, please, the, what, Frederick Douglass? Send him in, please. And then, you know, Secret Servicemen are like, what, this guy, look, at just a black guy, you want, they couldn't understand it. But, you know, when Abraham Lincoln stands from his desk and greets Frederick Douglass, the Honorable Frederick Douglass, so, you know, he just gave him a glowing, you know, you know, acceptance and, and just like he was just completely honored to have him there. And uh, Douglas, you know, the same. And so they became quick friends, actually. And uh, just just really, uh, you know, kindred spirits, kindred hearts. And that was when Douglas was confronted with his Democrat understanding. So Douglas was again, he was mentored by Northern abolitionist Democrats. So, uh, you know, Lincoln starts talking about, you know, Emancipation Proclamation, all this stuff. But, and then Douglas says, okay, yeah, that's good. But well, let me ask you, how, how do we get over this Republican thing? You know, what's this all about? He says, well, you know, what do you mean? He says, well, I, you know, Democrat Party is, you know, is really the party for, and he says, wait, 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 wait. Have you read the Declaration of Independence and the U.S. Constitution? And Douglas admitted that he had not. And so he says, well, look, uh, why don't you take these two documents and then come back? We'll, we'll, we'll talk next week or, you know, whatever you can come back and let's discuss it. And then when Douglas comes back, that's when he says, look, I am a black dyed in the wool Republican because it is the only party that for freedom and progress. So those were not made up words. Those were words that were convicted in his heart after he read the U.S. Constitution and the Declaration of Independence. It really it helped him to see what was really happening. It helped him to really convey what the Democrat Party really was. And he, you know, so that's where that that statement came from. Now, the other thing is, is when when emancipation was on the table, uh, you know, Douglas helped straighten Abraham Lincoln out because Lincoln had the idea, look, we're going to we're going to do this thing. We're going to let you guys go back to Africa. We'll send you all back and no problem. Douglas said, wait, 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 wait. What are you talking about? And, uh, and, and President Lincoln says, well, that's what you guys want. I mean, you just want to be free and go back to it. He says, no, 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 no. Wait. You just you just educated me on these two wonderful documents, Declaration and the Constitution. We want this, the freedom in America. We were born here. We want to inherit the fullness of what the American experiment is all about. That's what we want. So Douglas draped himself in the flag. There were no flag burnings. This brother draped himself in the flag and Americanism and was trying to hold everyone accountable to the tenets of the U.S. Constitution and Declaration, which is what every free-loving American sure. should want to do today. But a lot of them just hate those documents. Well, and that's, I mean, that, and that's important because 
as you learn about Frederick Douglass, you realize that he had a relationship with Abraham Lincoln. Now, this was not always just a, a great, loving relationship, right? I mean, yeah, Frederick no, Douglass and him butted yeah. heads a lot. And yeah. he was a thorn in Abraham Lincoln's side as it came into the Civil War and abolition. And he was always pushing Lincoln for more, more, more. Quicker, quicker, quicker. You're, you're, yeah. going, you're going too slow here. You're saying the words, but your actions don't match it. Let's go. Let's go. Let's I'm, go. I'm glad you're saying that because a lot of people don't realize the only reason why we have Emancipation Proclamation is because of Frederick Douglass. Now, let me, let me, let me just you know, further elaborate on that. Surely Lincoln already had this master plan. Absolutely. But Lincoln, when he met Douglas, he says, look, so this is the plan and, and you know, lays it out. And Douglas says, okay, yeah, that's, that's all fine. Okay, you know, we can go with that. Then he says, okay, so I'm going to go ahead and send this to Congress. And then, you know, we'll get it signed from Senate. And then I'll come back. To my, and Douglas says, wait, 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 wait. Uh, President Lincoln, no. And so this was a serious admonition that Lincoln had never, you know. He says, look, if you take this through Congress and go through your normal processes, we're going to have hundreds of thousands of more slaves killed, maimed, raped, lynched, etc. Because it, you know, the dysfunction of Congress back then is just as dysfunctional as now. He said, Mr. President, this is the single most important executive order in the history of the United States. And to this day, of course, it is. He says, so you must do this through executive order. Lincoln hadn't even considered it prior to Douglas bringing it up. So they had, they both had just intel, you know, indelible marks on each other. You know, uh, Lincoln admonishing, encouraging him to read the Declaration of the Constitution, helping him to understand what Republicanism is to get on board with that. And then him encouraging Lincoln, look, you got to do this through executive order. There's just no, there's no other way. And uh, this, this is just, it's just an incredible part of history. When you see these these two irons sharpening each other, right? Iron sharpened iron, just going back and forth and really reshaping and relaunching America in a really vibrant new way. It was these two individuals, the leaders of the of Republicanism, really. Uh, Abraham Lincoln, of course, was the the leader, the the pioneer, if you will, first generation Republican, and Douglas with him. And it's so, it's funny you mentioned that because. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Because if you look at his Wikipedia page, he's considered a Republican, uh, which they couldn't get around. They're not going to call him a Democrat when he wasn't. Uh, but we have this joke, this ongoing joke today that we use probably weekly where like, oh, Republicans are going to send a strongly worded email. Yeah. Uh, and that's like, you know, all they really do. Um, so in true rep Republican fashion, in his time, he couldn't send emails. But Frederick Douglass did send a letter to that slave owner that really treated him real bad. I'll tell you what, Frederick Douglass was not a Republican, right? Frederick Douglass is the embodiment of a conservative. I was going to say independence. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah, yeah. He is the, yeah. But, but he is the embodiment of a conservative. Um, He's he, a mega Republican. Yeah, yeah. Like America. No, yes, yes, sir. Well, he'd, yes, be, he'd, sir. Be, he'd be extreme in today's terms. But do you want to hear the letter that he wrote to that slave owner? Sure, because I don't know it. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm right, sure Kevin got, knows it. I got it right here. No, I don't know. Yeah, I'd, like, I'd love to hear escape, it. Yeah. Douglas wrote an open letter addressed to his former owner. In this letter, Douglas aimed at making Thomas Ald realize how unfortunate he is to be a slave owner. 
He boasts about his new life, his four children, and his improved circumstances without failing to remind Thomas of how cruelly he was treated. In the letter, he asked Thomas how he would feel if one of his daughters was taken into slavery. Frederick wrote angrily, Oh, sir, a slaveholder never appears to me so completely an agent of hell as when I think of and look upon my dear children. It is then that my feelings rise above my control. The grim horrors of slavery rise in all their ghastly terror before me, and the wails of millions pierce my heart and chill my blood. I remember the chain, the gag, the bloody whip, the death-like gloom overshadowing the broken spirit of the fettered bondman, the appalling liability of his being torn away from his wife and children, and sold like a beast in the market. However, he ended by wishing Thomas no harm, and stating that he was welcome to his home, and neither would he deny him anything good if he was in a position to assist him. Douglas was also actively involved. How about that? Did yeah. You, did you catch all that? So you start out with, look, this is what you put me through, asshole. But you yeah. know what? You're welcome to come break bread with me and my family. That is both uh, letting him know he sucked and letting him know you healed at the same time. Yeah. Well, it, it, to, to, to put caps on this story, when Douglas found out that Old was on his deathbed, you know, on the, you know, going to die imminently, he went to his house. Let him know he forgave him. And uh, full reconciliation, full forgiveness. Uh, when you think about CRT, you think about all the social justice warriors and DEI and all this crap today. The biggest problem is there is no forgiveness. You know, it's like you white folks did this, uh, you, you know, your families or whatever. You're complicit with it because you just happen to have the same, you know, lack of melanin or whatever, whatever. And so, therefore, there is no forgiveness. No, no, no. We, we're owed this. Give us this. Give us it. And Douglas was like, no, you don't owe me anything. Look, I forgive you. I understand. Uh, you, you know, uh, and, and he gave him full, full forgiveness for it. And so we, we can we, we, and we talk. learn valuable we, lessons. We yeah. talked before this. If anybody in history had a right to hate white people, yes. to say white people are evil, White people are yep. the devil, right? This is what white people have done to me and my family, my 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 people. Here, yep. here are the examples. This is why yep. you should hate them. They are monsters. He could have stood at the edge yep. of the bed and laughed at that guy and spit on him and, and showed him the yep. fi- the, the five hundred pounds he was sent back with from uh, from England when he did his tour. That was like that was fifty thousand dollars in but, that day's money. He could have just sat there at the end of his bed and threw it at him. But he didn't. <laughs> yeah. You know what he did? He forgave the guy. He and he said, look, or he could have choked him. The guy, the guy was on his uh, He could have said, look, I'm going to help you out here. <laughs> and, yeah, you know, yeah. put a pillow over his head and just, you know, yeah. make sure he gets to that next dimension. But no, he didn't do any of that. And, he's uh, a lot better man than I am. I would have been petty. Well, I mean, he's a lot better man petty. than most of us. Just imagine us, right, in, in our current humanness. Yeah. If we went through the devastation of what Douglas went through, again, he saw it the first 20 years of his life at least, and then the maltreatment of, you know, different areas and all that when he was speaking around the world. So if you could just, you know, sort of think, put yourself in that state, and would you actually have the capacity to forgive not only the guy who did it to you, but all of the folks that, you know, that were part of it, um, seemingly, you know, all complicit with the maltreatment of blacks and, 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 you know, you and your family and everything else. 
Uh, that's a tall order. No. Yet he teaches no. us some valuable lessons. I would not. I would not. Yeah, I, I, mean, I know me. I would hold hate in my yeah. heart until the day I died, and yeah. I would bring vengeance upon everybody that I could for the for the mistreatment that I received. You would have been Django Unchained. Yeah, you, you think. Yes. I think I'm joking, bro. Yeah, yeah. Most of us absolutely would. I mean, it, 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 this is why this story is so vitally important, that if we can learn to forgive as Douglas, look, he died an incredible man with an incredible legacy that uh, doesn't even come close to anyone else in history, in history. I mean, and Jesus Christ performed more and did, you know, better and all that, but, and we never learned about him with, with that exception, <laughs> Douglas, well, it's just unbelievable. I mean, he was the first, uh, first black and, 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 you know, president of us marshal service, first black bank president, first black, to oh, be on a presidential listen, ticket. We could finish this whole show out with first black, oh, right? Oh I mean, my goodness. The amount of accomplishments this guy had, we could finish this show out with you just saying yes. first black and whatever. Right. He found yeah. out, he found out secondhand that he was on the vice presidential ticket though. He was, yeah. Yeah, yeah, he did. Oh, oh thanks, but he guys. was still, but, but you know still, what? That, that, and there, right? that one's near and dear to my heart though, about the marshals. He was the first black U S marshal. Yeah. Boom. Yeah. Frederick yeah. Douglas, my man. He had a strong beard game too. And what and a lot of people don't realize that it was so. What happened with the women's rights movement? Oh, women's suffrage. Oh, when you go back and you research women's suffrage and you take a look at Elizabeth Cady Stanton, Susan B. Anthony, and oh, Frederick Douglass right there with them to help launch the women's suffrage movement yeah. because he realized that look, women, you know, come on, you, well, you guys are trying to prevent women from voting and this and that. Yeah. Where, uh, where, yeah. where, where I stopped it, where he was writing that letter uh, on that documentary that I had on my phone here, if I would have let it play, it would have it gave you all that information. Yeah, right. I mean, he, he was like, hey, y'all, I get it, right? I'm with <laughs> you. I've been there. Right. I'm with you. He was all about equal. He was the equal rights pioneer for everybody. So, so here is Everybody, a, here women is, in every ethnicity. Yeah. Here's a fun fact. Fun fact mm -hmm. is that he was the most photographed American in the 19th century. Abraham yeah. Lincoln didn't have more photos. Nobody had more photos than him. Now, he recognized the power of photography, and mm -hmm. rec he, tr he sought out these cameras, right? He decided, hey, look, this is the way. This was the social media of the 19th century. I need to get in front of these cameras. And if you go right now, as you listen to this, Google Frederick Douglass, hit Images, and go through every single one of them. You will never see a picture of Frederick Douglass smiling in front of the camera. And right. you will not see that because he said, look, I am not going to be a happy slave. I do not want to come across as somebody who is, hey, you know what? Everything's great now. Every picture of him is staring daggers through you. Very stoic. Very, you know, <laughs> Serious. I mean, he's a he's a very serious guy, and uh, yeah. But but you get the magnitude of conviction and fortitude and humanity with him as well. It's not like no, it's a it's he's amazing. He's got a scowl. It's amazing. It, it, it's it's, well, it's like you get ma majesty and everything else along with it. I mean, I mean there's you know incredible. what? A lot of these yeah. pictures are great. Um, especially as he gets older, man, when he gets that gray going through his hair, but he's got the gray and the black. I mean, he just mm -hmm. looks, it, 
although even in fairness, even with him with all gray hair is amazing. But of all these pictures, um, there is, uh, where am I here? There's one picture that I love and it was, he probably had a bunch done, but it's uh, the New York Historical Society has it. And it's Frederick Douglass in 1866. And it's the one he's wearing a black suit with his uh, bow tie. Uh, hair is a little little black, mostly gray, and he is just staring at the camera, man. I will tell you mm-hmm. right now that that is my dude right there. Mm-hmm. That is the guy, when you look at him, you know. You mm-hmm. know that this guy was here for real, man. He was not mm-hmm. here. He wasn't here for the camera. He wasn't here for the, the photo ops. He wasn't here for the, the speaking engagements. I mean, this guy was here for the work. And That's I, right. This picture of him is is amazing. I don't know if you know the one I'm talking about, um, but yeah, it's it is my favorite picture of him. You know what? Wow. We'll put it up. We'll put it up for the episode. <laughs> yeah, put it up. <laughs> no, we will. What about my face swap of putting Kevin McGarry's face on Douglas? No, Frederick do not Douglas do that. Head. Do not do. No, that. he has no. a face swap of you smiling real big with. <laughs> Would you stop it? You can't do that. <laughs> it's Kevin Mergary's face on on that. Frederick Douglass's picture, but he's smiling big. This you is can't. Du- this I is would not do Douglass no. Uh, listen, no listen to me. Listen to me. I swear mm. to you, right now, as God is my witness, Kevin, <laughs> if he posts his picture anywhere, I will pay for your ticket to come out here, <laughs> and I will bring you in here with a half bottle of bourbon, and we will confront Dan about this in a closed uh, you room. Let me, you let me at him. Let no. me at him, baby. So My you, brother, yeah. I got so you. So you don't want Jim to send you this picture because it's it's not as good as Well, his. we can send it to Kevin, but it will not go anywhere else. I assure you of that. If I see that anywhere else, I will try not it's to not murder a, you before as, Kevin gets here. It's not as good it. as the picture that I face-swapped of you stealing the lectern on January 6th. He did. He face-swapped a picture of me with the guy who was stealing the lectern on J6. Wow. It Dude, wow. it looks so real. Like did it the looks FBI so, come knocking yet? seriously. It looks so not. real that I was worried about yeah. the FBI knocking on my door. I, I went into hiding. I was like, oh, my God. I'm, I'm I'll, have, I'll have him send you that one, too. <laughs> Because, you know, FBI, man, I tell you what, they, they, they're looking for any and all. Oh, they uh, are. They're uh, in for blood, man. They're yep. just they're just looking. They're, Dude, they're, they're, see this bullshit right they see now. this bullshit picture of me, and they listen to our first, like, 80 episodes, and they're like, yeah, <laughs> this guy's going to prison. Yeah. <laughs> oh. And the right. only evidence they have is Dan's, like, face swap picture. The judge is right, like, guilty. Right. I'm like, guilty. who appointed you? you? They're I'm like, Obama. You. The judge is like yeah. Obama appointed me. I'm like, oh, fuck. Then the next yeah, week, they'd be like, "Welcome to Pop Bless America." I'm Dan. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm Dan, and then he's like, "And I'm Kevin." Yeah, yeah. our corrupt FBI would absolutely come after you. Oh, public, uh... ridiculous. <laughs> and they it's try to make a... it stick. They they be like, "Yeah, no, I know." He's he, 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 confirmed he was home, but yeah, uh, no, no. no obviously he was at the lecture. You know, in so half the country would be like, I knew it. I knew that guy was dirty. <laughs> uh, I saw it on the internet. Even when, right, I, right. even when I made your lectern face swap, I was like, this may be the best one I've ever done. Ever. That was horrible. Like the one I just made of you real quick, Kev, it needs a lot of work. I can probably I can get some better ones done. I'll send you a really, really good one. Can't just... really pull it off, but uh, but the no. one at the lectern was really masterful. masterful no, it, oh, my God. Good. He didn't talk to me for like a day. I got nervous. <laughs> so listen, another, another little uh, tidbit that I want to talk about here, and I want to see what your feelings are on it, is that in 1877, 
Douglas was visiting Washington, D.C. Got word that his home in Rochester, New York, had burned to the ground. Yeah, I did read that. Um, Everything that he had was gone. Uh, How big of a travesty was that for history? Yeah, I I didn't read that story, and I I didn't. So that part, I've got to plead. Uh, you know, I, I just don't know that side of, but you know, remember, well, it remember says, history. it says here um, that hundreds of Douglas's letters and the only known complete oh, set of Douglas's wow. newspapers were lost in the fire. Oh, my God. Um, that... no photographs of the Rochester home survive. All of the books, furniture and photographs that firefighters were able to save went to Cedar Hill, which was his later home. Um, that is wow. now preserved by the Park Found, uh, National Park Service. Wow, um, that but, is very tragic. So historically, I mean, that is that's that's a huge, huge loss. So this that, is basically everything in his life to 1877. That, I mean, yeah. there were no storage units, right? Mm-hmm. There was no wow, Cube Smart back crazy. in those days. He had everything in his house, and they suspect that that was arson. He was gone, oh, and, yeah, yeah. and they lit his house on fire, and. But the history that I feel that just went up in smoke there, yeah, everything, yeah. everything that no he had doubt. done, all of his writings, all no unpublished doubt. writings, diaries, I mean, just gone, gone. Wow. What an incredible loss of history. Wow. City of Rochester built a public library at the site of Douglas's former home that was formerly renamed the Frederick Douglas Community Library in 2016. Oh. So if you're ever in Rochester, you can go to the public library there and know that you are standing on the ground of greatness. Yeah, um, I actually uh, have some colleagues there, and I was I came there a few months after that library opened. Seems, you know, really nice and uh, all of that, but you can't recapture that amount no. of history that was lost no. in that fire. Right. That is, yeah. I mean, there's not even, you, you, you can't even put reprints in the library. I mean, there is stuff that was lost. There is lost forever. You know, yeah. that, that's, mm-hmm. that's, that's a world war two vet dying without ever telling a story. Same yeah. thing. I mean, right. it's, yeah. it's just, it's gone. Yeah. That's great. Ugh. Anyway. I always yeah. make, I always make the joke that if my house catches on fire, my wife's running out with a cat under each arm and then telling someone they got to go back in there and save me. Yeah, right. <laughs> exactly. Hey, the cat, uh, we'll have a candlelight visual for Dan, but those cats are going to be okay. <laughs> They're not going to miss a meal, bud. <laughs> well, I think we should probably wrap this one up. Do you have what? Well, let, well, let's thank him because this is what we really needed to, to really focus. Well, I want to give Kevin the last, yeah. the last right. whatever but, to talk but, about Frederick Douglass. We've been talking about, you know, uh, shifting gears and changing this podcast into something like this, where we can really take the time to, to really give this guy his due uh, or anybody we decide to do the show on, because the po- the political environment is going to get ugly and nasty. The further we get toward uh, well, elections. And, and I thought Frederick Douglass was a good one to do because you don't learn about him in school. There are yeah. so many Americans right now that don't know the story. They know the name of Frederick Douglass. They don't understand. Yeah. You know, there's so many people that are like, Frederick Douglass, did he invent the cotton gin? You know, like, right. they, they don't know. They don't right. know who Frederick Douglass oh, was. Oh, I bet you if we did that thing where they go to colleges and put the microphone in people's faces oh, and, yeah. and said, who was he? They would all be, you know, maybe 10% would get it. If that. And yeah. you know yeah. what? For, for, for every black guy, every black woman, that is listening to this show right now. 
if you don't know the history of Frederick Douglass, you don't know your history. And yeah, you don't absolutely. know you are where you are now because of yeah. this man. And Dwayne, send this episode to your aunt. Yeah, Dwayne. <laughs> we ought to, God damn, we should have had Dwayne here. Dwayne's got an aunt who is a diehard Democrat. And, uh, oh, yeah, oh. yeah, uh, Bernadine. Aunt, aunt she, B, we call her. Aunt B, yeah. We don't, she always, we don't, we don't drop a name. Oh, I'd like to see, man, we had to have Aunt B and Ooh, Kevin on here at the same time. Uh, and let's talk about, let's talk about. Oh yeah. That'd be nice. You know that'd what? Be nice. I'd love to do that. You know what? <laughs> love it. Kev, I ain't, I ain't kidding, bro. We had no, you, no, Dwayne, to Aunt B here. I ain't kidding either. I'd love to. Ooh, man. She is. Yeah. Oh, we should. We're, I'm going to talk to Dwayne about <laughs> it. Stick me on Aunt B. Stick me on her, baby. <laughs> mm-hmm. We can go. We can, we can go. We can, we can, we can make it happen. God damn! Yes, I sir. am I am recovering from a uh, upper respiratory infection. I'm yeah, on antibiotics for it now. Uh, I don't think it was COVID, but it got me uh, upper respiratory. And uh, Kevin just sent me over the edge. I had to mute my mic because I started <laughs> coughing because he's like, "Sick me on Aunt B." Uh, mm-hmm. that, that would be a nice, lively. Uh, oh, I would love it. I would love it. it yeah, we've invited her on the show several times. Yeah. She refuses to come, but we'll see. Oh, I'll, is that right? Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. She's big talker on Facebook, but maybe, she won't talk. I'll face swap her with Harriet Tubman and see if we can't get that to go. Oh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> Oh my goodness! Well, Kevin, listen, man, we got to get rolling here. I'm going to give you the last say. Um, you know, whatever, whatever you want to say that maybe we forgot about, uh, we didn't talk about Frederick Douglass. Um, we'll give you your say here, and we'll have you back next yeah. week. And we're going to talk about the Fred- Frederick Douglass Foundation uh, for our yeah. listeners. Frederick Douglass yeah. Foundation of California is where you're going to want to yeah. go. Just kind of get up to speed on it, and then you'll be able to jump in next week when we talk about it. But uh, Kevin, yeah. floor is yours on uh, Frederick Douglass. Go ahead, sir. So just the last words on Douglas, I would say that uh, if you, most people are familiar with the name, as you've said, but they, they just are not really familiar, intimately familiar with this history. It is the most captivating, inspiring, uh, really uh, God honoring and, and humanity honoring and, and, and American honoring uh, na- uh, biography that you could imagine. So if you were to get Frederick Douglass's uh, My Bondage, My Freedom, or any of his other uh, biographies and narratives, uh, it would be well worth your time. There's also YouTube documentaries you can pull up on Douglass to learn more about his history. But every American uh, needs to own up on Douglass because he is uh he had he was and and his legacy is uh the foundations upon which all freedoms all american freedoms really especially civil rights uh you know really starts from douglas and his collaboration with uh, president abraham lincoln so uh i would encourage everybody to just bone up on it because this is this is what america is all about and uh you'll learn a lot about america and a lot about him as a absolute hero of, of our modern day America. So, yep. And I would, uh, I would encourage those of you that think that Thomas Jefferson is America, right? You know all about what Thomas Jefferson said. You right. think George Washington is American. You know all about what George Washington said. You know about what Lincoln said, go and research Frederick Douglass because he is absolutely 100% up there with Thomas Jefferson with the founders of this country. He may not have been on the Constitution. He may not have been at those conventions. 
but I'll tell you that he did more to shape this country than a whole lot of the founding fathers that you know about. So that's right. Right on Kevin McGarry. We appreciate you as always, man. And we will, uh, we'll reach out to you. Um, see when we can get this set up for next week for talk about the foundation because the foundation is doing fantastic work out there in the world. Um, so if you're available Perfect. next week, that would be great, brother. We'd love to have you on for a part two. Yeah. All right. Let's talk about it. We, we'll figure it out and we'll get it back on. You got yeah. it, brother. Man, we appreciate right. you. Thank you. And uh, thank you guys. Yeah, man. Appreciate we'll talk. It. We'll talk to you next week, brother. Take it easy, Kevin. Appreciate you guys. All have right. a good yep. remainder of the week. Talk later. Bye. Dad, I'm telling you right now, this is no joke. Frederick Douglass. I'm going to be buying books. I'm going to be reading as much as I can about this guy. The, the the research I did about him for this show, everything I read, I was like, God dang, man. You know? Yeah. I, it's, yeah, you're right. It's, it's crazy, man, the, the impact that he had on this country. And he was a good dude. He was not one of these, you know, he wasn't spreading hate about white folks. He was a good dude. You, you read his writings, you know, and – there's no hate at all to have him here today. I would, I should ask Kevin, what would Frederick Douglass say about what is going on today? Yeah. Race in America. You know what I mean? Yeah. They would just defund him anyway. If he, if he started making sense. So it's just, I go back to what I said earlier about man, if he would have, if he would have started to get educated at five years old with the real education and not this spotty bullshit education of people right. trying to teach him and him trying to teach himself. I mean, there's, there's, if you could have educated him in a school and sent him to a college, holy shit. Well, some of the best musicians were self-taught musicians because they knew they had it in their heart. And whether you believe this was by a grace of God or divine intervention or, or whatever it was supposed to be, he knew what he wanted to do from, from an early age. I bet, I bet a hundred percent. As soon as he heard that first word, he knew there was something more. Yeah. Fell in love with being a linguist. Look, we got to go, right? We do. But before we go, uh, we've got, as always, our words of wisdom. We, we can't end without the words of wisdom. Words of wisdom from our leader. I don't think it's a crisis relating to conflict between China and the United States. As a matter of fact, I think it's less likely to cause that kind of conflict. Uh, I don't, uh, anyway, I, I just think that there are other things on leaders' minds and they respond to what's needed at the time. And look, nobody likes having celebrated international meetings if you don't know what you want at the meeting, if you don't have a game plan. He may have a game plan. He just hasn't shared it with me. But I tell you what, I don't know about you, but I'm going to go to bed. (laughs) This is our president in Vietnam giving a speech. uh, It sounded like his battery was running low and then it it started flashing. I don't know about you, but I'm going to go to bed. (laughs) This is our president. Jesus Christ. Dan, anything? Nope. I'll tell you the joke after we're off air. Oh, God.
Anybody that stuck around, you're going to hear the joke that Dan was going to tell me off uh, off air. Go ahead, Dan. Go ahead with your joke. <laughs> the joke is they were going to put Fred, Frederick Douglass on the $50 bill. Why didn't they? They decided not to because they thought it would only be worth 30 Do you follow the Constitution? Have you read it? Do you get it? It's actually hilarious. <laughs> Two-thirds. It's so bad. Two-thirds. <laughs> Uh, And that was one of the uh, travesties uh, of the Constitution, right? It's not a perfect document. It's not. We're we're trying, though, in order to uh, create a more perfect union. We're trying. Provide for the common defense. 
30. You're such a dick. <laughs>